Welcome to Healing with Worth, a podcast dedicated to healthy recovery and instilling hope in the wake of betrayal trauma. We are women who have experienced this intimately and want to offer hope to other women. While we may interview professionals on the show, the content should not be taken as therapeutic advice and is not meant to replace therapeutic healing. If you would like to join one of our free online worth groups to help with your betrayal trauma, you may find us at healingwithworth.org. Welcome back to Healing with Worth. Today, we're wrapping up our section on self-care with this episode that brings it all back around full circle. We will discuss, on a slightly different level, boundaries and self-care and how those play into the difficult circumstances we find ourselves in in our relationships when we feel stuck between a rock and a hard place. We've covered many of the needs that Vicki Tidwell Palmer describes in her needs inventory, and today we're going to talk briefly about some of the needs that are in the interdependent category of needs that we have in our relationships. As we're wrapping up our self-care episodes, we would really encourage you to visit healingwithworth.org and consider donating to the Worth program. Currently, we have a wait list for women seeking help, so your donation will help support women getting into a betrayal trauma support group. Thank you. In Vicki Tidwell Palmer's book, Moving Beyond Betrayal, she talks a little bit about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And we've covered many of those in our self-care sections where we talked about physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional self-care. And once these needs get met, we can start focusing on building our relationships, being understood honesty and trust are fundamental relationship needs. Now, I think we've all wondered, or at least I have wondered, how I could justify staying in this relationship that even the most basic of needs aren't being met. And as difficult as it is, there is a period when partners must tolerate the intolerable. And that's something that Vicki says in her book. And there's, there's no way around this phase of the recovery process it is extremely trying. I know that I did, and I'm sure Janine and Cherilyn, you can relate that it feels like you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. It's excruciating, it's brutal, but it's survivable. Today, we just want to provide some of our ideas on how we can get these needs met during the time when the addict's often turbulent transition from secrecy and deception to transparency and honesty starts to take shape and how we discover our power. Okay, Cherilyn, will you give us the definition of power? Yes, the definition of power is the ability to do something or to act in a particular way, as well as the capacity to direct or influence the behavior of the course of events. Thank you. And I know that often when we talk about power, um, we find when we find ourselves in the position of the betrayed, um, Vicki Tidwell Palmer talks about two of the most common mistakes that we make, um, being a betrayed partner is thinking that we have power when we don't and believing we don't have power when we do. And as a betrayed partner, when we come into D days, it's such a confusing place to be. And we're, we're in that fight, flight, freeze. We're, we're trying to figure out what to do. 
and and she says um when you when you don't recognize where you have power to affect change you miss many opportunities to improve your life both individually and relationally and to get your needs met and she goes on to say when you mistakenly believe that you have power over people or situations when you don't you create unnecessary frustration for yourself and waste precious time that you could spend on more effective and productive activities and endeavors and and I think it's it's a it's very like she said it's very common for us in the situation um, because we really we really are kind of in a rock and a hard place we don't we don't really know what we're dealing with when we first come into discovery and so it can be such a difficult thing to grasp this concept to to grasp in the beginning. I know that for me when I first discovered that this was an ongoing issue and not just a one-time bad choice. I went into major controlled mode. I made lists. I had lists of jobs for him to get done while I was at work. I had passwords on the computer, content filters on the browsers. I made sure he could only be on the computer if I was like by his side. I mean, everything that I could possibly do to try and control his actions and his behavior. And it got to a point where he was resentful and didn't want to be treated like a kid and he was getting and he would get just so mad just so mad when he wanted to get on the computer I'm like well I can't sit next to you so you can't get on the computer you know and and he just he often said you know I feel like a child I feel like you're treating me like a child you know and it initially was his idea to put the password and to have me in charge of it you know but it put me in that position of of having to to be in control and to try and control his behaviors. And, and the resentment just went back and forth. His resentment towards me, I was frustrated toward him, towards him. Why couldn't he see that I was trying to help him? You know, it just was this whole thing. I just felt like it's not fair for you to get mad at me when you can't control yourself. You were acting like a child, you know? Um, and I just, I just, that was one of the place. And then it, it got to a point, I did that for several years, you know, and it got to a point where I gave up completely, where I just gave up any kind of power completely. And I shifted to the other end of the spectrum where I was like, well, I have absolutely no power at all. I have no control over anything. My life is a mess, you know, and it doesn't matter what I do. He was going to find a way to get his fill, you know? And so I spent another several years in this powerless, hopeless mode, you know? over here on this other end of the spectrum. And then, you know, once I got, you know, like we talked about before, finding support and finding people, you know, I finally shifted into this middle ground where I realized I do have power. I have power over myself and how I respond to his choices and to the pain that I'm in. And it was then that I was able to finally start making decisions that helped me making decisions in that authentic power. And I finally had found that middle ground after, you know, swinging from one end to the other, and then finally falling somewhere in the middle, where is kind of where we want to be. And I'm not always perfectly in the middle with everything in my life. But like all things, the more I practice it, the better I get at it. I mean, it comes into play with kids, and it comes into play with, you know, other people in my life. And as I set boundaries, I, I 
began to create the life and the space that I wanted and needed to feel at peace and to feel secure. I know I think Sherilyn, you had you had some examples of kind of the power over concept and what that looked like in in your life. Did you want to talk about that? One story that I can share about power over is about my son in video games. When he was a tween, he became defiant and was opposing anything he didn't like. Every instruction I gave him, he aggressively fought back with harsh and unkind words. I knew that I needed to mother him, but he rejected any form of mothering that I offered. One night when I was headed off to bed, I gave him an instruction to turn off the Xbox and get to bed. He did as I asked and went to bed. I woke up late in the night and realized that he had snuck back out and was continuing to play the video games. When I realized what was happening, I marched out of my room, straight to the Xbox, ejected the CD, grabbed it with my two hands, and broke the CD over my knee, and then marched back to bed. As I was laying in bed, I was fuming. I felt like my son was disrespecting me. He was disrespecting my authority. I wanted control over my surroundings. I wanted control over him. I realized like most of us do and are learning, that control made, it made me feel safe. But I realized that the more I fought for control, the more things got out of control. I didn't get much sleep that night as I tossed and turned, wrestling with this dilemma. I got up to write in my journal, as, and as my anger spilled onto those pages, the anger finally left me. As I climbed back to bed and lay there for a short time, the spirit gave me a great insight. If you force or make someone do something, you are starting a power struggle. Instead, you want to teach him to self-govern. You want him to choose to obey. Yes, I want him to choose to obey. That's exactly what I wanted. I kept thinking about that last line. You want him to choose to obey. And I kept saying that as I was falling asleep. Choose to obey. Choose to obey. That insight turned the tide for me in my relationship with my son and with my husband. How do you get someone to choose to obey? I needed to know the answer to this question. So I guess the first step is I had to figure out my what my relationship to power was. And for me, I realized that I craved it, but I felt it would reflect poorly on me to admit that. I guess I had an ambivalent or conflicted relationship with power. On the one hand, I wanted it, but on the other hand, I felt like wanting power was bad. The way I resolved this conflict was to give in to other people. I became a people pleaser on the outside, but I resented feeling cut off from my own power. The spirit prompted me to get curious about this topic because it was important for my healing. The first concept that I had to learn was, no adult has the authority or power to direct the behavior of another person without that person's willing consent. Vicki Tidwell Palmer. In the 12-step program, the first step is, we admit that we are powerless over others. I was trying to force other people without their consent. I wanted to feel safe and secure, so I tried to have power over people. But in reality, I was out of control. Vicki Tidwell Palmer says, Power over is a non-relational strategy to regain a sense of safety or control by someone who feels helpless and powerless. And I definitely felt helpless and powerless. Does this make sense to you guys? Yeah, I my question I guess my question would be for you is what what did those boundaries look like that you know was there I know that in a parent child relationship dynamics can be a little bit different because you know we have to kind of set 
rules and limitations, what kind of boundaries were you able to put in place that kind of still allowed him to be the person that he is, but also experience, you know, consequences for the actions that were maybe something that you didn't want constant in your home? Yeah, I realized that I had two choices. I could try to take control by force, power over, or I could choose to be in control of myself and my reactions. I could start being in control, which after a lot of practice, I realized is the only way to have control or what Vicki Tidwell Palmer calls authentic power. There's a two-pronged approach, in my opinion, to authentic power. The first prong is to set boundaries. And as I kind of surveyed the situation with my son, I came up with four boundaries that I thought that were needed in order to get rid of this power struggle that we were having and to help him learn how to self-govern. And the first was accepting the no answer. The second was following instructions. The third is accepting criticism. And fourth, disagreeing appropriately. These boundaries help me be in control of myself. I knew exactly how to respond when he became defiant. When I put these boundaries in place, I feel like I was able to teach him cause and effect. And he eventually learned that good actions earn attention and bad actions don't. The second part of the approach is defogging our own lens or having a change of heart. And I hate to admit it, but I viewed him as someone who was difficult. I saw him as a problem. I saw him as a troublemaker. I saw him as somebody who was disrespectful. And so I stopped being concerned with all the bad things that he was doing. And I started concerning myself with showing him love. This was very hard because it it really challenged me to look at my pride and to put that aside and to humble myself and to change my foggy lens. So I put aside my thoughts of creating a perfect son and replaced them with thoughts of supporting my son where he is while creating a consistent yet loving environment for him. When my heart changed or my lens defogged, I invited him to bond with me. I invited him to draw closer to me. Even though he was still oppositional on a daily basis, I reached out to him in thoughtfulness and kindness. I got interested in video games. I asked him about the characters. I asked him about the storyline. He actually we, he actually spent some time trying to teach me how to play these video games. We did other things too. We spent time talking about the things that he was interested in. And I kept praying his heart would change and that he would see that I wanted to bond to him and love him, as well as help him fix the problems he was having. It was at this point that I started to have authentic power. The power that encouraged my children to choose to obey because they loved me and because we had a good relationship. Plus, they learned that negative behavior behavior did not get them any attention. Now, don't get me wrong. It was a constant battle. My son has one of those kind of personalities where he loves power too. And so we're both kind of power hungry. And so we butted heads a lot. But nurturing the relationship with him paid off in the long run. And I'm glad to say that even at 22 years old today, he still comes over and wants to hang out with me. 
And when we talk on the phone and this conversation is ending, we both end with, I love you. So this is a huge victory for me. And it's interesting to note that he actually is pursuing a career in video games. If you're struggling as I did with power over, I would encourage you to opt into authentic power, build a relationship with those people that you're having a power struggle with. Yeah, I love that. So Cherilyn, your your definition of authentic power, what are maybe some bullet points that we can that our listeners can kind of ask themselves that help them to maybe evaluate where they are standing in their power? You know, what are they in authentic power or are they, you know, at one end of the pendulum or another? Yeah, I think there are several, um, which we've got from Vicki Tidwell Palmer's book, and we've turned them into questions, but do I understand and know that I'm the only person over whom I have control or power? That's the first question. Am I in touch with my needs and wants, and do I go about getting them met in an honest and direct way? Number three, do I make requests of others rather than issuing demands or ultimatums? Number four, Am I in touch with my inherent worth and value? Number five, am I aware of and accountable for the impact of my behaviors on others? Number six, am I clear, grounded, and centered? Number seven, do I rely on manipulation, control, intimidation, force, or revenge to get my needs met? The last one is, do I accept powerlessness when appropriate? Thank you. Yeah, I... I think those are good questions to kind of ask and ask yourself to find, you know, kind of where you are on that. And, you know, do you, do you, when you're like trying to figure out, you know, what your relationship is to power and kind of figuring out, do you, do you run away from it? Do you want, do you wish that you had it or do you crave it? I mean, all of these things are just kind of, good questions to keep in the back of our mind when we're trying to determine, okay, where is my power in this particular situation? And you can ask yourself that in, in multiple different situations in life. And so I think that, you know, a lot of times it it is that we, we get to this place where we're in this rock and a hard split, a hard place, and we have to decide what we're going to do. And I think that kind of leads into, you know, this next example where we talk about, um, tolerating the intolerable. And, and it's a story from Vicki Tidwell Palmer and in her book, Moving Beyond Betrayal. Um, Janine, did you want to share that with our yeah. listeners? Yeah, I'd be happy to. And one of the reasons that we're talking about power is because there will come a time in your relationship with the sex addict. And I feel like I'm right in the middle of this space myself where you are going to have to tolerate what she calls the intolerable because you have this relational need of trust and honesty with the addict, but they are likely unable to provide it for you in, in this particular period of time. So she, she kind of um, talks about this um, space that we must really kind of endure and it's just miserable. I feel like I'm 
I'm in this miserable space where I am trying to tolerate the intolerable because I need this honesty and this trust, trust in particular with my partner, but I'm not able to get it right now. So she shares a story of a, a, an outdoorsman who was trapped by an 800 pound boulder in Utah Canyon back in um, 2003. He And she says he was unable to sit, lie down, or move his right arm for six days. Running out of food and water, he eventually resorted to drinking his own urine to uh, prevent dehydration. Ultimately, he was forced to amputate his arm with a dull, dirty pocket knife in order to escape the situation and save his life. So as kind of graphic as this story is... Um, Vicky parallels it with this space or this period of time, which we feel as partners trapped in this unbearable predicament where we can't control the partners. Um, we, we can't force him to build trust with him. We can't force him to be honest with us, but yet this is a fundamental need that we have for this particular relationship and so we I like right now am sitting in this space of how am I ever going to be able to stay in this relationship when it doesn't even meet my most basic need of trust in this relationship and so she indicates that the part of the recovery process is, is this, this space that we have to maneuver, maneuver through. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> it's very trying. And this is why she calls it being stuck between a rock and a hard place, because it's just brutal. But she says it's survivable. And so this is where self-care comes into play is because we need to know how to survive this relationship and the measures that we need to take in our self-care work to be able to deal with this situation. We would like to thank our sponsor, Men of Moroni, a Christ-centered support group for men overcoming sexual misbehavior, including addiction to pornography. Men of Moroni, part of Life Changing Services, helps to fund Worth so we can offer free therapeutic group healing to women suffering from betrayal trauma. If you know someone who could benefit from their services, go to their website, lifechangingservices.org. Now back to our show. I love that. And self-care is, is that is really how you take your power back when, you know, that's how it kind of relates to this is that self-care that you need to do is how you can find and take that power and take it back to the authentic power that's really within you. Right. Without having control over the other person or without feeling like you have no control. Right. So, yeah. 
Yeah. And I think, I think the, the basis of that, you know, of that self-care and, and taking that power back and tolerating the intolerable is, is you've got to get to a place where you know your needs. Right. Right. And, and so that's something that, um, our needs in a relationship and, you know, we've been talking about other needs in, in previous episodes, but in particular in our relationships, we need to know what our needs needs are. So, because, because you need to know how to be able to take care of yourself. If you don't know what your needs are, then you're not going to be able to, to take care of yourself. She says in her book, in getting needs met, there are some you have the ability to take care of yourself and others you don't. So as, as was mentioned before, trust and honesty were one of those things that we, we can't really control that from another person. But it is something that you can meet yourself. You just have to know how to create appropriate boundaries to protect yourself from the addict's dishonesty. But it is something that you can get. It's just the addict may not be able to provide that for you in this hard place, you know, in this, in this space. She says, you must begin to recognize where you have power over an outcome and where you don't. Partners often spend time and a lot of energy and time trying to attempt to get the addict to change. As understandable as it is to want the addict to stop acting out or lying, it's impossible to make it happen. The only person we have control over is us. And sometimes we don't even have control over that. So, Especially in betrayal trauma. Yes, yes. I'm sure every one of our listeners can relate to that where we have have just lost control of ourselves and how we... Um, respond to the situation when our needs aren't being met, you know, by this, this other individual, but, and that's where I guess um, for me, it's, it's been really helpful to know that uh, connecting with others is really a, a vital part of our healing is because we do have these basic relational needs that our partner is not able to fulfill for us. Right. Uh, Like we need to be able to be authentic and yeah. Right. And heard and understood. And, you know, we need to have uh, relationships that are built on honesty and trust and um, vulnerability. Yeah, for sure. This is where reaching out is really helpful to the betrayed is because likely her partner for a period of time and and hopefully he's working on this stuff as well so that he can can help fulfill these needs at some point but you know there's an ugly space (laughs) that (laughs) betrayeds are often dealing with that's not very very fun to maneuver through and that's and so getting these needs met is our responsibility and we do have power over it. And that's why it's part of self-care. Right. And and it's, and it's part of our healing really as well is, is finding that authentic power, understanding what our needs are and being able to, to make the choices and take the steps to get those needs met, 
you know, especially when they can't be met by her husband, that's where those, you know, these kind of support groups like worth or, you know, whatever other kind of support groups there may be that you're a part of it, they're fundamental pieces in getting some of these needs met that are maybe not able to be met by anybody, but people who are experiencing the same thing because that need to be understood can be really hard to, to get from just any old person, you know, any person that you, that, you know, really having somebody who's, who's kind of traveling in the same path, like, like we talked about, our, our circumstances are all different, but they, but they all have a same note in them. And that's, you know, as, as a betrayed partner, we understand the, the pain and the betrayal that, that is felt. And, and not everybody can really grasp that. Um, I know, Sherilyn, you had this um, kind of a, a model in your, in your own recovery that you had and in, in trying to get needs met, certain needs met. Did you want to share that model with us? Yeah. So just a few thoughts about, you know, trust. One of the, I think, I think Vicki mentions it in her book as well, but when we are talking about trust and honesty, we can trust our own intuition and, you know, and then seek out other people. But I think that that's a strategy as well as just a, even though you're aware of something's amiss and they're not being honest about it, you can say, just, you know, come back to the assumption that there is something, there is, there is, there is something amiss here. And I'm just going to trust that that's the case and then wait to see if it pans out. And if it doesn't, then you, then I've just had to kind of let it go. So that's, that's a, you know, a strategy with trust and honesty. At a certain point in my journey, I was really needing to be understood. And my husband wasn't able to meet, meet those needs where I was looking for somebody where I could talk to them and then, you know, um, speak to them and being able to like speak how I'm feeling and and then be able to change myself from the inside out. And then I feel like I was wanting to find someone who I could, you know, um, who could sit with me and help me analyze the very fabric of my thoughts, you know, my fundamental essential paradigms. Like, and I felt like I was wanting someone to help me see objectively see my own lens through which I saw the world and I wanted someone to be there when I was grieving you know a loss um, when I was hurt when I was wounded um, when I was trying to forgive for an injustice Um, a lot of times I realized you know I had this certain reality in my head and I needed to you know check it against what other people thought and you know I spent a lot of time, you know, examining my character, challenging my scripts and looking and, you know, for my limiting beliefs and then trying to process my feelings. And I also wanted to own my own story, you know, start checking that story against reality. And so I was looking for somebody who could help me through this process. And I remember reading uh, Stephen Covey about psychological error. And that's kind of what I was, was wanting. And so I came up with this um, I, I identified this need and then I, I said, you know, who can I 
who can I seek out that, you know, can be a sounding board for this? Who can understand me? Who can affirm me or, and validate me? You know, who's going to appreciate this, this process that I'm going through. And, um, you know, I thought this was a sacred space. And every time I tried to do it with my husband or other people, I would be presenting my heart and, you know, it was open and it was, it was, you know, real things that I was trying to deal with and they would, they wouldn't respect that space. And so I felt like my heart got smashed and, you know, bruised and hurt even more. And so I was looking for, you know, I wanted someone to kind of walk on this holy ground with me and reverence the space. And so I came up with these lists of needs of these are the things that I want or these are the things that I don't want. And I kind of tested people out and I finally found a few people who met that criteria. And so um, I wanted to share that with you. And I felt like what I was looking for was I did want someone to reflect back what I was hearing. I did want someone to ask me to expound. I did want someone to help me feel my feelings. I wanted someone to let me cry. I wanted to find someone to assure me, to comfort me, to pay attention, um, to let me share the same story over and over again as many times as I needed to <laughs> until I could release it. And I wanted that, pers that person to keep it confidential. And if they didn't keep it confidential, that they would let me know. And they would um, ask me clarifying points. So th that's kind of the, the things that I needed to be understood. I needed those things. And then I kind of realized I had a need that I didn't want. I didn't like it when I started talking about these really sacred things or, you know, and people would project their own autobiography, you know, um, they would assume thoughts, feelings, motives, and they would start to make, you know, make it about them. You know, I didn't like it in this space when people started to give me advice. Um, I didn't like it when people tried to fix me, you know, and tell me I was broken or weak. Um, I found it wasn't helpful when people would try to suggest ways to improve or they would kind of offer another point of view or they would kind of rush me or poke me. Um, and I guess the last two things I was didn't want when it, was I didn't want people to interrupt with counter argument and then they didn't criticize me. And when I kind of came up with those, those do's and don'ts for me, and then I sought people out um, and they were able to do this for me, I felt like I was more open to being influenced or to problem solve. And, um, and then I realized that, you know, I could, I will be open to their input but ultimately I get, I got to choose and that, you know, I was the master of my own destiny. The, you know, I like the, I'm, you know, the master of my own ship. And I also realized that if I was going to take ownership for this, that means that I'm a hundred percent accountable for my choices, consequences, and rewards. I love that concept of being a hundred percent responsible. Cause I think that in this, in this, path that we're on we've got to <clears throat> not not take responsibility in any way for our addict but but just for us like we get to make decisions and we get to t take the choices 
uh, sorry, not choices. We get to take the consequences or the rewards for such decisions. And I, I love that being the master of my own destiny. I think that's so powerful. Like we do, you do have the power to be a master of your own destiny. You just like any other person that can't be controlled, you have the power to decide for yourself what you're going to do. And nobody else has power over you to force you to do anything that you're not willing to do. Um, and if I could interject here, um, you know, Cherilyn, you, I, I love this list. It's really insightful, or these, these do's and don'ts, so to speak. Um, it's really insightful because you are taking um, control where you have it to meet the, these basic relational needs that um, are outlined in, in Vicki's book, you know, um, because you're, you're seeking and you're creating a, um, an environment where empathy, love and respect closeness, consideration, emotional safety, honesty, um, support, understanding, appreciation are all being cultivated in within the realm that you have power and control over. So I, I love that. Yeah, I felt like, you know, it was a hit and miss for me, you know, about, and once I kind of just, you know, in any any conversation, once I define this list for me, I could I would realize I can either open up or I can end the conversation because it became clear to me what I was looking for. And not everybody is always going to be a great listener, but there were moments when someone you know might that's what yeah. And so just having the awareness that because my husband has been able to do this for me and he hasn't and. So it's just kind of like I became aware of, okay, this conversation is going in the right direction and I am going to be able to examine my thoughts and my paradigms or it isn't. And then I kind of quickly get out of it and I stop. So it was a, it helped me stop um, seeking out understanding when it just, people weren't, uh, people weren't available to do it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like falling into these, kind of almost traps maybe like mm -hmm. instead you had a, you had a course laid out so instead of falling into this maybe old pattern or trap you you had directed yourself a course out of such situations by creating this so, so until the addict until able to demonstrate behaviors in the relationship where um, they're more congruent his words are in in line with his actions um we're kind of stuck in this this place and knowing where our power lies will help us to move through this through this space it's it's kind of it's uh medically or excuse me it's um metaphorically described in vicky tidwell palmer palmer's book as a, a funnel Okay, well, Vicki uses the, the metaphor of a funnel to describe the process, the process that addicts go through as they engage in healthier behavior, behaviors and become more transparent and honest. 
So if you imagine the top of a funnel, it's wide. This this is kind of during, you know, early discovery and disclosures where the addict is not really being dishonest and he's lying about things and he's engaging in acting out behaviors. And so as, you know, he goes down, if he, he goes further down in that funnel, he's moving down into the spout of the funnel. The path becomes narrower, meaning that his behaviors lessen and so does his dishonesty. It doesn't mean that the addict is 100% honest all the time. He still lies, you know, but they de- de- they decrease and, and they're typically about issues that are less critical for the partners in the relationship. So it's not yeah. really, a, it's not really an ideal situation, but it's greatly improved. She puts in here as this 12 step slogan says, progress, not perfection. So I love that. Right. I know she also has in, in her book, she kind of lists the eight signs indicating that the the sex addict is either becoming or is in fact more trustworthy. And she kind of lists these all out and just to kind of in, they're very general. And so it encompasses a lot. So you can really fill these things in, you know, with some more specific behaviors that maybe fall under the particular category. The first one is he's fully engaged in recovery activities without expressing resentment or acting as though he feels like a victim. And number two is when you ask questions about the past or his recovery work, he's open to answering your question and only occasionally is defensive. Number three, when you're together as a couple, you feel that he is fully present most of the time. Number four, he is transparent and forthcoming about his whereabouts, use of money, and his online or electronic activities. Number five, he demonstrates the ability to empathize with your feelings, especially about his past behaviors. Number six, when you express discomfort about an event, activity, or even an article of his clothing that is a trigger for you, he's open to making changes in an effort to repair damage caused in the past. Number seven, when you make reasonable requests, he either agrees or negotiates a mutually agreeable solution. And number eight, in general, he appears more engaged in life with less forgetfulness and distraction. And I love that list. It includes so much. And there are so many lists out there that you can find um, for, you know, trying to indicate different things. Um, But I love that these ones are listed here in the realm of trustworthiness, because I think so many times we want as, as women, we want to see the best. um, And we want to, we want to see all the good things and, and hoping that, you know, our, our spouse is trustworthy and it can be really hard to see sometimes. And I think this gives a really great outline of just some really key things to, to be able to see clearly. And I think that's the key to be able to see these things clearly. Um, so that, you know, you know, when they are, and maybe they have one or two of these, but there's still some more, you know, so, or maybe they've gained one more, you know, the, the process is such a long process in this regaining trust. And of course, you're going to have your own list of things that are going to show you whether or not your spouse is, is being trustworthy again um, or 
for the first time <laughs> in some cases. Um, but it's, I think it's just a great uh, resource. Um, her whole book, which we've quoted out of this entire podcast, is, is a wonderful resource. If you haven't read it, um, it's one of the, one of the readings um, on our worth reading list. And it's definitely worth it. It gives a lot of key information about setting boundaries, about knowing your needs, about really being able, and it's really, it's really mainly about boundaries because it's, she talks about her five-step boundary solution in that book. Um, but finding all of these things within boundaries and self-care is all part of, you know, finding your power is all part of that process as well, which is also covered in the book. So did Janine and Sherilyn, did either of you have anything you wanted to add? Yeah, I guess for me, it's not only just those, those eight um, ways to kind of find out if the addict is, is recovering. Doesn't just talk about trust, but talks about honesty. And it also talks about emotionally being heard, you know? So I feel like it is, they, they do are a quick summary of what, you know, of ways to things to look for. Cause I felt like for me, it's like, I always ask myself, how do I know if my husband is in recovery? You know what? So I think this is a concrete, some, these are some ideas that we can look for that can give, you know, to see if, you know, to measure how he's doing. Cause I think that, that um, gives us hope, you know, it gives us, it, it helps us move forward with, you know, in a difficult situation. Perfect. Yeah, this list is, is very helpful to me. And I feel like I'm in this, like I mentioned earlier, I feel like I'm in this space and it's, it is just agonizing. So, you know, keeping, knowing um, that I do have power to create um, or fulfill my own relational needs when he's not available to do that right now is, is really helpful. It's going to be really helpful to me. So I, I appreciate all both your ladies insights about this. Cause I really feel like it's reinforced some things that, that maybe I've, I've known about, but it's, it's solidified for me, uh, some areas that I, I need to work, work in so that I, I don't get stuck in this state of, uh, misery, so to speak. So thank you. Thank you. Um, just in closing, we found, um, we thought that this particular scripture that we find in the Doctrine and Covenants kind of um, goes along with our topic today. And it's uh, Doctrine and Covenants 121, 41 through 43. And it's the one that says, No power or influence can or ought to be maintained by virtue of the priesthood, only by persuasion, by long-suffering, by gentleness and meekness, and by love unfeigned by kindness and pure knowledge, which shall greatly enlarge the soul without hypocrisy and without guile, reproving betimes with sharpness when moved upon by the Holy Ghost, and then showing forth 
afterwards an increase of love toward him whom thou hast reproved, lest he esteem thee to be his enemy. And I think that um, this is a great, great scripture to remember, you know, where is, where is our authentic power and what, what are we doing with the power that we have and what are we craving or what are we trying to accomplish? And I think if we can remember this um, persuasion, long suffering, gentleness, meekness, love, um, these, these concepts will help us in our lives and it will help us to not only be able to find the, get the needs met that we need to have met, um, but also be able to be all of, be able to do the other things that we have going on in our lives and be able to do those and function outside of our most, our most intimate relationships in a healthy manner as well. In closing, we wanted to make sure that you know that you can email us at worth at lifechangingservices.org. And any questions or any topics that you want addressed or talked about, and we will be more than happy to take those suggestions or questions and put them into our podcast to be able to uh, address concerns that you have on your mind. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us this week on Healing with Worth. Make sure to visit our website, healingwithworth.org, to enroll in a therapist-led support group or to check out our blog. If you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or wherever you may listen, or simply tell a friend about the show. Be sure to tune in next week for a new episode because you are worth it.